Get Up Nation. I hope you're enjoying the Get Up Nation podcast on www.anchor.fm. As a podcast host on over 20 platforms, I really enjoy how easy it is to use Anchor, how Anchor makes everything I need available in one place for free, accessible on your smartphone or desktop computer. Go to www.anchor.fm now. In case you didn't know, Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit each episode. If you're concerned about the distribution of your hard work, don't sweat it because Anchor takes care of that too. If you're considering becoming a podcaster, I would highly recommend Anchor as your choice to begin sharing your content with the world. What up, Get Up Nation? My name is Ben Biddick, the host of the Get Up Nation podcast and co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Lurong Living, Adam Greenberg. Recently, I had the immense honor and privilege of speaking with Rudy Reyes. Rudy enlisted in the United States Marine Corps in 1998 and spent seven years as a recon Marine. He was trained as a paratrooper, combat diver, recon and surveillance, demolitions, air assault, amphibious insertions. He completed SEER school, which is comprised of training in survival, evasion, resistance, and escape, and attended the United States Marine Corps Scout Sniper School. He honorably served in multiple combat deployments during the Global War on Terror, including service in the Kandahar Valley of Afghanistan, leading the invasion into Iraq, and later surviving what Time Magazine called the most dangerous place in the world, Fallujah and Ramadi, in 2004 and 5. More recently, Rudy has pursued acting. He played himself in the HBO series Generation Kill. He is also the author of the book Hero Living, Seven Strides to Awaken Your Infinite Power. He served as a counterterrorism contractor for the Department of Defense, where he trained wildlife preserve rangers in Africa in anti-poaching tactics. He's also a speaker, conservationist, brand ambassador, survival trainer, and martial arts instructor. Born in poverty and no stranger to adversity, he is certainly someone who personifies the resilience and perseverance we celebrate on the Get Up Nation podcast. He's open about his struggles with aggression, alcohol, and isolation post-combat, and continues the hero's journey are leading warriors into a space where they can experience a satisfying, connected peace with themselves, others, and the earth. He has become, as he describes, a weapon of mass creation, and shares on the podcast how in addition to his involvement in the Recon Sniper Foundation, he's working to unite combat divers from all branches of military service with marine scientists, conservationists, and journalists in the nonprofit organization called Force Blue. This organization was created as a model of caring, cooperation, and positive change with the power to restore lives and restore the planet. Rudy, thank you for joining me on the Get Up Nation podcast. My brother, it's my honor. Really the mark of a man, the mark of a true hero is leadership, mentorship, and living the message that empowers others. And I'm compelled to be that message. As I uh, said before, being a serviceman and fighting for the country and fighting for idealism, once you take that step across the threshold into service, similar to the Bodhisattva that says upon a chance to become completely enlightened and to leave the struggles and, and, and the pain of the, uh, of the reincarnation wheel, he says, no, no, uh, great cosmos, I must stay back and I must bring every living creature and every creature that has lived across this threshold with me before I can accept this nirvana. And that is exactly when the Bodhisattva becomes the Buddha and is truly enlightened and is truly a part of heaven. I feel that I am on the same path and I must be conscious, live it, and continue
continue to bring everybody else on that path with me so we can all cross that line together. Our focus on the Get Up Nation podcast is to help individuals, organizations, and societies develop resilience and perseverance. Your journey is one I've been looking forward to delving into because you're a phenomenal example of resilience. Born in 1971, just prior to your father deploying as a United States Marine to Vietnam, you were born two months premature. Medical personnel didn't expect you to live. As a small child, you wore corrective shoes and leg braces. You grew up in poverty, playing canicas on a dirt floor, suffering from having worms, lice, dental problems. And after you and your brother shifted from various relatives' homes, you wound up at the Omaha Home for Boys. Early in these experiences, you've described how the moment you saw a Bruce Lee movie, your perspective was altered at that point. You credit your ability to persevere through the challenges you faced with what you experienced early seeing that Bruce Lee movie. Will you share a little bit about what resonated within you when you encountered a hero, when you encountered Bruce Lee while experiencing all of this adversity? Well, it was so profound first uh, as a young boy, especially I'm the oldest brother. And I had no parents or really any adults that I could lean on or count on after some time. I, w I was the adult. Uh, looking back, I always thought that my brothers and I were so far apart in age because I was always the father of both Caesar and Michael. But we're really only a year and a few months apart each. But to me, it, it, could, it could have been 20 years apart for me and my, my brother Caesar because I was in that role of provider and protector. Uh, so when I see Bruce Lee, I see this freaking provider and protector. Hmm. He's providing for his community when he was fighting for his, his Chinese martial arts school and, and to fight for his master that was, that was assassinated in Chinese connection. He was, he was fighting to, to, uh, give justice to his sister who was killed in Enter the Dragon. He was, he was protecting and providing, uh, education, mentorship, leadership to his, his community in the, the restaurant in, in Return of the Dragon. I mean, this, this man was the personification of what I needed in my life and what I was trying my best to give to my two brothers. And look at Bruce Lee. He's so strong, fast, disciplined. It was his discipline in every film of his. He's training as well as uh, engaging the enemy. He showed the strength, the, the resilience, the bravery, the courage, and the absolutely single-minded determination to win no matter what the odds. And I needed that in my life, and so that's why he was, he was my first hero. You've described in your youth how you always believed in heroes. You survived as a child on the streets and schools racked with poverty, the crack cocaine epidemic of the time, gang violence, gun violence. You said once that you became attracted to strength and heroism because there was none of those in the streets at that time. Will you tell me more about your fascination with heroism at that time? You know, I was fascinated with heroism and I was in love with manhood uh, since I can, I can really remember. I remember Rudy Reyes Sr., my father, he, he had a, an ab wheel and some 20-pound dumbbells. Maybe they were 25. But when I, when I got to live one year with my father, my first grade year, uh, my dad, Rudy Sr., and he's passed, uh, he, he was working on his ab wheel and, and he was lifting his weights. And so uh, in my pajamas, my Spider-Man pajamas, believed I had more strength and power and, and I would, I would exercise with my dad. And there's a photograph 
floating around somewhere, me curling this 20-pound or 25-pound dumbbell, and I'm just this tiny six-year-old boy. My face is beat red because it took everything I had to do it, but but uh, I felt strong and empowered. Uh, later, when the life, when our lives fell apart, and my brothers and I were were um, shuffled around and, and uh, started living in really abject street conditions, I noticed there was no goodness out there on the street, and mm. and there was no goodness in the schools of the street. Mm. That it, that only the strong survived, and it seemed that only the cruel had power. And I was uh, due to those first imprints of of my youth, I, I was I was compelled to be that force of good. Hmm. And so that's what I did. You've described how even when your sinus cavities were rotting with infection, you taught yourself gymnastics, wrestling, martial arts. You turned down personal opportunities for advancement, like being accepted as a student at an art institute because you needed to raise and protect your brothers and not leave them behind in environments where they were being pressured to join and participate in gang activity. You could not stomach leaving them behind. Was this a time when you realized how you had the potential and opportunity to selflessly serve others? When I had to make that that decision to not go to the Kansas City Institute, I've been in a uh, really prestigious accelerated painting program. Probably a lot of people that follow my work wouldn't know that I was a painter and an illustrator, and I still do. I still illustrate, and I still draw, not nearly as much as, much as I would like. In some sense, maybe I'm painting and drawing with my life these days. At the time, I didn't realize what I was doing was anything special. I really didn't. Uh, possibly, possibly because my life had been so, so off of the traditional highway of what was put out in the 80s that, that young kids, or young, soon to be young men, do. I had already been fighting for my life. I'd, I'd been through so much abuse, and, and I'd seen death already on the streets. I didn't think I was doing anything special. I thought I was doing exactly what you're supposed to do, and that you do not move forward until others are moving alongside of you, especially those that you love. And that's why, that's why I, I turned down going to school because, see, I couldn't, I couldn't bring Michael and Caesar there to the barracks or the, the dorms and the school that they were going to. I had got Michael out of extreme poverty in the South. He was living with my mother and I, and I got Caesar out of the boys' home and the school in, in the area that we lived in it was called Westport High School. It was all gang, and it was, uh, and there was so much hard drugs on the streets. I mean, stuff that a lot of people now can't comprehend. The crack epidemic was just destroying the inner cities, and that's where we lived because that's where I could afford for us to live. I just, I just could not live with those boys on their own in that environment. So I stayed back from school. I got them out of Westport High School in the inner city and got them on their GED program and then brought them to work with me. And then we also, every day, went to the YMCA to lift weights and train. And in a sense, was their shepherd. And that led us to discovering Shaolin Kung Fu from our teacher there, John Reeder. And it really, really opened up the rest of the life to us. Hmm. Uh, I was just doing the right thing. Maybe even when, like, like they say in the Marine Corps, doing the right thing when no one's looking. I mean, that's what you do. 
One thing I want to point out, if my research is correct, as a result of engaging yourself with the study of martial art in that time, you attained the title of Midwest Mixed Martial Arts Champion. You earned 14 gold medals, four Wushu Kung Fu Midwest Championships, as well as Jing Wu International Grand Championships, an honor that was only achieved by one other American-born martial artist, Bruce Lee. It's very interesting. Yes, I, I achieved a lot of gold medals from the Jing Wu, but I got I was only the grand champion once, mm. uh, and I think I came in second another time. And that the Jing Wu uh, Martial Art College is the prestigious Chinese martial art college that was shown in film in Bruce Lee's Chinese Connection. That was the school that he went to, where his ma famous master was killed by a Japanese assassin. And it is very interesting that full circle, I ended up in these same footsteps of the hero and, and the films that hero made to inspire young people like me. And I'll tell you, even then, at the time, before I wrote my book, Hero Living, I did not even see these things because I was so in the process of doing hmm. and being. I never even noticed that my life was becoming some kind of... Uh, Campbell-esque hero's journey. I just continued to choose to do the hard thing, the right thing, and the disciplined thing. And now here I am at 46, almost 47 years old, and new missions are evolving for me, like with Force Blue, rebuilding coral reefs with commandos, uh, speak for veteran communities all across the country. I will be speaking at Oklahoma State University for, for Veterans Day. There's many things that are developing but it's not because I planned, it's because the, the structure and the organic form of my soul has been created by the hero's mythos and, and really that iconic idealism of always pursuing the brave thing, regardless of the fear, and leaving myself available, win, lose, or draw, or in cases like combat, living and dying, leaving myself available. Hmm. to do the right thing when no one was looking. In your book, Hero Living, you described how you grew up unwanted. You were, as you said, uncultivated, uncared for, and unseen. And although at the time you were making a good living doing illustrating and had some manual labor jobs that you were doing, you saw the unseen in others uh, when you saw a documentary of an orphanage in Kosovo. Is that correct? That, were... is, that is correct. And, and that you... is what compelled me to go to the Marine Corps. It was not glory, but instead I saw this documentary, and then shortly after seeing these orphans, and it resonated heavy with me, really resonated heavy with me. And I, as shortly after President Clinton put the mandate out that uh, we're putting boots on the ground to go fight in Kosovo, and I took that as a sign, and that is why I joined the United States Marine Corps. I had just recently been married. My wife didn't know what the hell was going on, what I was going to do what I was doing this for, and she started crying when I told her, but she could also see in my eyes that I was meant for this, and, and that it was giving me a value and a purpose to truly serve in a way that nothing else had ever done before, and that was the beginning of my, my journey as a recon marine. You were 26 years old when you enlisted, and at the time you were in the Marine Corps, there were only 300 Force Recon Marines out of 300,000, and 90% washout rate, people were dying in training, and you earned a spot among these amazing men. Yeah, the best of the best, if you think about it, 1% of 1%.
I mean, those are some good numbers, right? I mean, I don't yeah. even know if the NFL can boast that. I knew that it was austere, and I knew that it was perilous, but I was driven and inspired by my leaders. They were the greatest men of the greatest men. And as we say, we stand on the shoulders of giants. But people like Roger Sparks, First Sergeant Ed Smith, who's killed in combat, these were the giants' shoulders that I stood upon. You've described in prior interviews how the proudest moment you had in the military was when you made it through recon school. You got your recon PT gear and your black sweatshirt. You went straight to your father in South Texas, gave him the recon sweatshirt you'd earned. Oh, that's right. Since oh, that's right. Rudy Ray is senior. There's no, never a prouder recon marine's father and you know him being a marine as well he was also the very first person i called when i made it through the indoctrination so that i could get a chance to go to school and i didn't call my wife i didn't call my little brothers i called my dad and any marines that are listening to this don't remember this in the 80s and 90s going to a phone center where you had to buy some at&t calling cards and get on the payphone. i got on that payphone, and when i called my dad he was crying on the other side and he always called me papa and papito or he and he also called me dad i called him dad he called me dad and he said dad i knew you could do it i knew you were meant for this you're so much better than me dad and i was i was crying too i said oh dad i couldn't have done it without you you know you're an inspiration it's uh i haven't thought about that in a while but, but yeah that's uh that's, that's some kind of um Guess what? It's a lineage. It's a spiritual, emotional, physical lineage that um, all men and women who serve a higher good, I'm sure they all have a similar story. You've described how mindfulness and, and meditation are immensely valuable for you as you deal with and have dealt with your experiences in combat. After sensing that you were not doing well after surviving combat, you described how you dealt with aggression and alcoholism, becoming a workaholic, and how you had immense pain inside. You've mentioned how your deployment to Fallujah and Ramadi 2004 and five was like hell on earth. You were in a leadership role at that point and you lost some of your Marines during combat. You described how you became harder, more violent, and more destructive. And then you've also referenced how samurai balanced their swordsmanship and warfare with pursuits like calligraphy, painting, flower arrangement, and tea ceremonies to balance out the blood, the gore, the rage. Will you share some of what has brought you peace, health, and healing after you've returned from war? My peace, love, and healing that I found in, and rediscovered since coming back from war. And there's a certain part of us that never does come back. I may have left... Fallujah, but Fallujah hasn't left me. Some of this is the price. Some of this is the, the price of knowledge. And if you look at ancient tombs of spirituality, and there's always the warrior that crosses over and achieves a piece of the light of knowledge, the fire of knowledge. But from that fire of knowledge, he's burned as well. So after I was burned, in a sense, it took me 10 years to put to rest, the disappointment in myself and the disillusionment and hatred that I discovered upon myself because the reflection I was looking at was no longer the reflection of an idealist warrior who had a clear-cut mission and had the best and brightest men with him. Instead, I was looking at a reflection of Salone that was in deep pain, was in confusion and fear, and I did not at that time have the support structure that I do now. 
and it was it's very very lonesome, hard hard road to recovery, and I fell apart in every way, depression, and then covering it up with working and training, and and then violence. I started fighting in the streets, substance abuse, deeply mentally and emotionally wounded and ill. How I found myself back step by step was getting back to the basics that got me through my childhood, and it was physical fitness, it was mental attention, it was nature, being in love with the outdoor, it was community, my veteran community, my family members, my children, and the last but not least, the mission. So if you can imagine, my being is, is a table, and I have four legs on that table. The first is the uh, attention to detail and discipline that goes with physical fitness. The next is the outdoors, oceans, mountains, the fields, uh, the forests, the deserts. Next is my community, my loved ones and those people that support me and those that I love and support as well. And the last is a mission, a mission of virtue. It is absolutely good and beautiful and honorable, an honorable mission. And I found that with Jim Ritteroff and with Keith Sum in the creation of Force Blue three years ago, and now we're fully operational. I have Team 2 training in Key Largo right now. I just flew into Miami from Helsinki. I'll be going to Key Largo to assist with teaching and training Team 2. We've been operational for a year, and the difference we've made to our teammates and our new teammates and their families, co-workers, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, it is becoming a ripple effect, a tidal wave of goodness that's happening. So we must, in the end, find that mission, that mission of virtue, that mission of truth, that mission lights our way through the darkness. You've described how a warrior's soul is courageous, empathetic, humble, passionate for life, and committed to helping and protecting those around them. How a warrior is both a leader and a teammate. For those seeing tremendous injustices they want to end, or seeing pain in others they want to remedy, what advice do you have for those who feel that warrior within them and have that desire to develop themselves into someone who can remain resilient through traumatic environments and experiences, who can sustain their service over time and lead a life of both mental and physical health? Well, remember, to sustain that mission of virtue and to, to have that forever flame that lights the way. Bruce Springsteen said, you can't start a fire without a spark. And that spark, that very first spark is some movement First spark is your is the individual's movement to that undying flame. So a simple movement, whether it is getting on the hook and calling your old teammates, or getting on social media and finding a a vision and nonprofit or an empowerment, whether it's emotional, physical, spiritual, even professional, and in reaching to that spark, and you'll find very quickly that again that self-esteem that's developed through physical fitness and martial arts because it's that self-esteem cannot be uh, purchased it can't be manufactured and it can't be something that's parlayed upon another it comes from inside and the esteem that is created by you making a physical change through discipline that esteem is real that esteem cannot be taken away because you are in the driver's seat. Hmm. So that's the first step. That's the first step is developing the authentic self-esteem and developing a truth to the authentic self. And you got to get a spark. you got to get a spark. With that spark, you're going to start that fire, and that will lead you to ultimately understanding that eternal flame, the eternal fire. 
that dispels all darkness. Nothing but the light can live there. And whatever it takes for you to strike that spark, then you must do. I always end the show with six quick questions to help my listeners understand the why within my phenomenal guests. Are you willing to run through these quick six questions? Sure. Who, Absolutely, brother. Who are you thankful for today? Uh, well, you know, just I hope people can really, really embrace this. Who I am most thankful for today is myself. Hmm. Um, I have not looked in the mirror in so long and been proud of the reflection back. Hmm. But I will tell you what, I look in the mirror now and I'm proud of the reflection looking back. I'm most thankful for me because I have gotten me back. And now that we've tackled who you're thankful for, what are you thankful for today? What I'm thankful for today, I'm thankful, I'm thankful to be relevant and absolutely supported by so many more than I ever believed possible because for some time I had been alone. Now to understand that I'm never alone, that is my answer. How do you fuel the fire within you? Uh, I fuel the fire with daily inspiration of those that need help and those that are absolutely leading the way. So it's twofold. It's those that are on the front as vanguards taking on all comers, uh, leading the charge, as well as those that may have been forgotten and left behind that need love, leadership, support. What is one thing adversity taught you to value? Adversity has taught me that we all possess the power to overcome. Is there anything you're doing today that you never thought you could? Yeah, there's, just, there's a couple, but probably the most important transition I've made is to become a businessman and a professional. I believed coming from poverty and being a working man my whole life that that level of expertise and maturity would be out of my reach. Hmm. And now it is absolutely part and parcel of who I am. Is there anything you will do tomorrow that you never thought you could? Tomorrow I'm booking my trip to Mongolia to lead the Spartan race with some other commandos and premier athletes. This will be my first time in Mongolia. My vision is to learn to shoot the Mongolian bow from horseback. And so that mission is starting tomorrow. Rudy, I appreciate you taking time out. How can people learn more about you? Well, um, first you can check out my website, uh, RudyReyes.com. I am the co-founder of forceblueteam.org and this is a virtuous mission taking the world of combat diving amphibious assault from our special operations community not just in this country but our allies and around the world and through partnership with conservation scientists and the uh, highest level reef scientists in the world we repurpose our skills to now be weapons of mass construction subsurface uh, and soon, I really believe, we'll be changing the world because we're going to make it badass and kick-ass to care and to uh, be a force of good. We're going to make it badass and kick-ass to get into the oceans and then ultimately we'll create force green and all over the land in which we take ownership and love of our own stewardness. We are stewards of this, of this earth. And we have things to change, but we, we damn sure have a lot of good people out there that want to make a difference. And it's hitting that tipping point. That's my goal. So you check out forceroutine.org and then my Recon Sniper Foundation. Um, Recon Sniper Foundation 
a nonprofit. Originally, we created it for recon marines and workers and our families, both of the fallen and those that are in dire straits and struggling now. Now we help all veterans and all veterans' families. Check out Recon Sniper Foundation, a truly beautiful, humble, and directly a responsible nonprofit. And you can check that out as well. My Instagram and my Facebook, they're linked on my website, Real Rudy Reyes, Instagram, and Rudy Reyes on Facebook. And you can just Google my name, Rudy Reyes, and look for the guy that looks like a Marine. I think I'm the first guy that comes up. You guys can find me. So everybody out there, get involved, place a stake in the freaking ground, and say you're here to do good things, and get involved with what I'm doing. Love it. Thank you so much, Rudy. You got it, brother. Rudy Reyes, one of America's most elite and resilient warriors, who was born into poverty and defended his brothers from streets devoid of goodness and slithering with cruelty because it was the right thing to do. Engaged by the opportunity to serve the unseen as he had been, he led the way into a world free from terror. He experienced the most violent, destructive, and hellish places on earth and returned with a fire to continue his service. If you want to help Rudy and his team support veterans in need, donate to the Recon Sniper Foundation. If you want to witness some of the most intelligent, skilled, disciplined, and driven men and women on the planet take their warrior skill sets and apply them to healing the earth and its oceans, witness this beauty and power in action at forcebluteam.org. Get up, nation. We all have a mission to complete in this life. What's yours? What's yours?